a Highline podcast. It goes without saying that this podcast contains spoilers. If you value ignorance in your reading and watching experience, maybe come back to this show after you've read and watched the featured material. But let's be honest, if you don't know already, he sees dead people. Welcome to Author's Intent. My name is Dixie Lee Henning, and I am your host. This is Author's Intent. Uh, welcome, welcome back to the show. Um, so last week we covered the first part of the Hunger Games. Uh, this week we are going to cover the second part of the Hunger Ge- Hunger Games. The next next week we're going to be covering the third part of the Hunger Games, um, and then we're going to dive into a Disney Classics series. Um, and we're going to be starting. I had I I had run a a poll on my Instagram. So if you, if you want to participate in polls and stuff and talk about stuff that I talk about on the show, the best place to do that would definitely be my Instagram. But I ran a a poll on Instagram, uh, listing a bunch of different Disney movies, uh, that I am looking into featuring on, on the show. Um, and looks like we're going to be starting with the Beauty and the Beast. Um, I haven't decided yet if I'm going to do both the Disney and the live action movie because from my understanding, I believe that the live action movie is more accurate to the story, um, but the the cartoon is just way better. Like, I don't care how much you love Emma Watson or Dan Stevens, but like, it just, it just factually is better. So we're going to... We're going to jump right into Hunger Games this week. When we left off, uh, Katniss had just been on an interview with with all of the other tributes. And PETA, actually, at the end of the interview, announced to everyone that he is in love with Katniss. Um, and we talked about how after after the interview Katniss like assaults Peta um in in the movie you you see that he um she pushes him like into a wall um like directly after after the interviews um but she actually makes a point of getting into an elevator by herself and and then pushing him when they get up to their penthouse um and of course everybody freaks out uh because tributes aren't allowed to fight each other and then have the whole conversation with Hamish about how Peta saying that made Katniss desirable and of course this just pisses Katniss off even though she understands what he's saying um and she just you know wanders off and sulks this this next part of of the book and the movie takes place like the majority of it takes place in the actual arena. So we're going to actually have we're going to actually talk more about like the specifics of the arena and like the the game builders for for the Hunger Games and all of that stuff. I honestly like there there are some small things that are just like not really accurate in the movie, uh but outside of uh you know like first person third person, you know, the perspective of the movie, they actually did it pretty well um i think so let's just start let's just start at the very beginning let's just start with with them uh getting ready to go into 
the arena. Um, so Katniss and Peeta actually end up meeting on the rooftop of this penthouse that they're staying in the night before the Hunger Games actually start. Katniss and Peeta have a conversation about, you know, like, I don't want I don't want to just be like a pawn in the Capitals game. I don't want to, I like, if I die, I don't want to just be like another cog in the system. Like, uh, PETA talks a lot about how he's sure that he's, he's not going to win. He doesn't feel like he's going to win. And they don't, they don't talk about what he had said at the interview. I think that they both know that like, if they're going to get through, if either of them is going to get through this Hunger Games, uh, they have to put those feelings aside completely. Like, there's no way that they would both be able to survive. Like, rules as is, Katniss and Peeta cannot both win. So they don't talk about it. They, uh, there's a, there's a tradition in the games where you, like, make alliances with other tributes to a point um so the tributes from districts one two and four are known as career tributes because they are trained even though it's legal they're trained like from birth to be um to volunteer as tribute when when they come of age um so Peta actually because of how good his score was Peta actually ends up hooking up with the career tributes which is just like it's it's weird like the career tributes they're like vicious violent and terrifying like they have been training since birth to be able to fight and to kill and the fact that Peta, little bread maker boy is is teamed up with them it's just it's just weird but you see later in the movie that and in the book that he uses his in with the career tributes uh to get to katniss faster and that's exactly why they the tributes started an alliance with with Peta because they wanted to be able to get to Katniss because if you remember in the last episode we talked about the the scores that the tributes got for you know their skills and stuff Peta got an 8 and Katniss I believe got an 11 um which means like they don't know what she did in in this private session with the game makers but because she got an 11 the other tributes know like she is a contender she is going to be hard to kill like that's the person we need to get first so and because Peta announced that he's in love with her uh the careers know like if we're if we have any chance of finding her in the arena we need to be friends with Peta. so they actually they played that super well so uh after this rooftop meeting with with uh Peta, they go to their own rooms and they go to sleep of course Katniss has a hard time sleeping who wouldn't um she uh is woken up early in the morning by the AVOX that that was uh assigned to their floor um they are taken separately to to a place where they're gonna get ready to like actually enter the Hunger Games and it's literally just just like Katniss and her designer um and each individual tribute is alone with their designer in this nondescript location <laughs> um so Cinna actually is there with Katniss pins the Mockingjay pin on her on her like lapel and tells her you know like I'm I'm betting on you I can't bet but I'm betting on you um and essentially all the tributes get into this this tube uh that leads up to the arena so the that that time that time between uh, the end of the interview and them actually going into the arena is pretty accurate, except for like 
where they did stuff and like where they had conversations. You also don't see uh, in the movie. uh, So at the top of the penthouse on the roof, there's actually like a force field around the the uh, building so PETA is actually up there like tossing rocks into the force field and the force field like shoots them back to him which is just an interesting little tidbit which will be important for the second book and second movie but it's not really it doesn't really come back into play in the first movie so other than that stuff everything plays out pretty accurately um there's not a lot of like new characters added like you see a bunch of the tributes um in in the interview uh i like they don't talk enough about suzanne doesn't talk enough about each individual tribute long enough for you to have an accurate like physical description of them so like the the people that they chose to play them i would say pretty good like they're younger kids that are playing playing these tributes so um i think the most important tribute out of all of them excluding katniss and Peeta, of course is a character named rue and she is from district 11 um she is in the hunger games with her male counterpart uh thresh um, Thresh is described as being like huge, burly. Um, he is like complete opposite to Rue. Rue is 12 years old. In in the book, you see Katniss when she first meets Rue, when she first sees Rue, talking about how she reminds her of Prim because she's so young. And um, you you hear the internal dialogue in the book about how Katniss feels sorry for Rue because so clearly no one was there to to um, volunteer to be tribute for Rue when she got called, which is just like heart-wrenching. You see you see some stuff with Rue in in the book um when they're training and stuff and like they show that in the movie, so you didn't really miss a whole lot of that. But that's the only other tribute that's like really important to this part of the story. So Katniss gets into this tube in in this uh staging area um and is lifted up on into the arena so first thing base like entering the arena like obviously the the uh directors like they couldn't they couldn't do everything exactly how it was written in the book when you when you see the arena in the movie it seems a lot smaller than how it's described in the book in the book there is apparently um, like a big field, like a big empty field. Um, there's a huge lake in in the book. Uh, the there's a there's a place called the Cornucopia at the very center of the arena, um, and it's in every single arena since the first Hunger Games to the seventy fifth Hunger Games. Um, but the biggest difference with the Cornucopia is that in the in the first movie, the Cornucopia is like a like gunmetal gray um it's like a giant silver it's like uh it looks it looks like mechanical almost like it's very manufactured um in the books they're always gold uh so it's i mean that's not like important to the plot or anything but like that's a big difference and also just like the basic scenery of of the arena it it's somewhat important just because like you learn that like Kato actually not Kato Thresh uh the other district from or the other tribute from district 11 um he runs off into into this big open field and like none of the other tributes even dare to go in there and another another defining feature 
of the book, and it's in the movies too, but uh, Hamish specifically says, like, don't don't go into the cornucopia. That's where kids die. Like this literally bloodbath. Half of half of the people that enter into the Hunger Games will die in the first 30 minutes of the Hunger Games if you go to the cornucopia. And of course, Katniss and PETA, neither of them listen. They're bad listeners. But of course, PETA also, he made an alliance with the career tributes. So after, after the f- initial bloodbath, PETA's fine but Katniss didn't make any alliances like she had no plans to make an alliance with anybody in the Hunger Games she just had a hundred percent planned on just being by herself figuring it out and trying to live as long as possible she had no intent of like actually seeking people out to kill them so when when the when the buzzer goes off and they are allowed to start the Hunger Games Katniss does not listen to Haymitch and she goes running because she sees a bag in near the cornucopia that looks like it might have some supplies um and she also sees a bow and arrow like really far into the cornucopia which she knows because of how she performed at the private uh training session with the game makers she knows that was put there for her and she doesn't see any other ones so of course she's like that's for me i need to get that of course she doesn't get close enough at all um and this is played out perfectly in in the in the movie there's a lot of i there you don't see a lot of like the actual killing of these children because it's a pg-13 movie um and they can't kill a bunch of children on on tv uh so you don't see a lot of the the younger tributes being killed in the first 30 minutes of the actual hunger games which is fine but it i mean she goes into a lot of descriptions in the book (laughs) it's definitely not PG-13 in the book. Like, she goes into detail. So, uh, a big thing that I've seen a lot of people, you know, gripe about, about the opening of the actual Hunger Games. In the book, you see Katniss in her mind remembering previous Hunger Games, watching them on the TV. And you would learn from that that there are actually mines set in the ground around the pedestals that each tribute is standing on. Specifically, uh, because if you take a step off of the pedestal, you get blown up. Just and it's a it's a very like short range, a short range landmine. Um, so it doesn't like set off all the other landmines around the other tributes. It literally will just blow up when you step on the ground if you step on the ground before the buzzer goes off to start the actual Hunger Games. So you don't see you don't see that internal dialogue. You do see the the landmines come into play later in the movie, um, but it's not exactly i think there's like a little cut scene with caesar flickerman about how there's landmines but it's it's not enough for you to actually remember by the time you get to the scenes with the landmines in the movies to know how these kids got landmines <laughs> it's like okay so of course katniss runs off the the buzzer goes off she runs off the off of the little pedestal and makes her way into the cornucopia or tries to make her way into the cornucopia um she's not able to make it all the way to the bow and arrow so um she actually stops short grabs a backpack um you see one of the one of the tributes i think she's from district two throws um some knives at her and like she gets hit in the back like her backpack gets hit in the back with one of these knives um and she takes takes that knife with her um but you also see one of the other tributes get killed by these throwing knives um and Katniss just books it off into the into the forest um and then 
it's a whole it's a whole long scene where Katniss is just running and running and running um until she like trips and then she's she like you see her think I think I'm far away from all the other tributes I could probably just walk for for now like probably not anybody following her so she walks I mean this scene is is so long it's just it's literally just Jennifer Lawrence walking in the wilderness and like cool I guess so she she uh finds her way to a tree that she thinks would be safe. Uh, she sets up some snares to catch um, some wild animals, some of the smaller like rodents and stuff. Um, you see that she actually catches a rabbit, I believe. Um, and she looks in her bag and she only has uh, like a water bottle and a rope and the backpack. Um, and of course the water bottle's empty. And this is probably... This is probably one of the one of the bigger things that people get on the movies about. The the water bottle's empty. The water she has no water. Um and the entire like so part 2, the entire like three chapters at the beginning of part 2 is dedicated solely to Katniss trying to find water. She almost dies from dehydration in the games. And like you don't see that. You don't see that at the movie at all. Like they don't show it at all, which is whatever. Um, so a big a big feature of the Hunger Games is that uh, people outside of the Hunger Games, so people in the capital and even some of the some of the uh, districts, can actually send gifts to tributes. Um, so the gifts are usually very very expensive, um, and most tr- most uh, districts can't afford can't afford to send stuff in to the games for their specific tributes. Um, but you can get sponsors through the Capitol. Um, and there's a ton of cutscenes where Katniss is, you know, just walking through the walking through the wilderness in in the arena and you cut to Hamich um trying to get get people to sponsor Katniss essentially. Um but this is exactly that's how Katniss um it's so it's it's an important feature and it plays a big part in the rest of this story. Katniss knows that she can get sponsors. Um, and when she is struggling to stay alive because she's so dehydrated, she knows that Hamish is watching and she knows that he sees that she is very, very dehydrated. Um, and her internal dialogue is very much like he obviously isn't trying to get sponsors for me. He He's probably just trying to keep Petal alive, which I mean, who wouldn't? he's definitely better but that's not the point um so she like most of the book most of this part of the book is a lot of Katniss's internal dialogue and you don't get any of that in the movie and it's impossible to get it and like I understand like doing voiceovers is not always great for for movies but there I mean there's just so much internal dialogue that you guys don't that you don't get if you don't read the book. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence is an amazing actress. Um, and she she plays the part really, really well. She really does. Um, and she does a good job of like kind of portraying what those thoughts might be with, you know, facial expressions. It's still it's still just not not really enough, you know. Anyway, so she she uh is pretty much almost dead. Um, and she's convinced that Hamish isn't going to send her any water. Or anything like that. And then she happens to come across like a little stream. And lo and behold, there's there's water. And she's like, oh, maybe he was 
withholding water because he knew I was close to it. Hello, my friends. You made it halfway through the episode, so now you will be rewarded with ads. Everyone loves ads, right? First, I want to say that I am so excited for Author's Intent to be a part of the Highline Network. We join the network alongside shows like No Normal People, Ravel, and Into. Here's a teaser from our sister show, No Normal People. It's like, all right, well, this is new. Um, (laughs) This is new. This is fun. (laughs) Unlock the door, open the door, and they like, put your hand on your head, put your back towards us. And I looked at Steven, who's in the passenger seat of the car. I'm like, what the heck, man? Like, kind of giving him eyes. And he just looks at me and he just said, I'm sorry. And I'm just like, what are you sorry for? Like, like I don't have time to figure this out. And then my my hands are on my head. My friend in the car just said, I'm sorry. And uh, the cop says to me at this point, he's like, walk backwards to the sound of my voice. If you make any sudden movements, you'll be shot. What? And uh, (laughs) yeah. You can find Author's Intent anywhere you find podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at A underscore Intent Podcast and Instagram at Author's Intent. You don't see this in the movie. You don't see, like you hardly ever see Katniss actually struggling, um, which is I mean, it's kind of disappointing. I mean, you do see, so later in this section, she actually gets hit by like a fireball that's shot out of a tree. Um, and and she gets burned like on her leg. Um, and obviously you see her like, you know, struggling there. She's um trying to take care of the injury without showing that like she's actually in pain. Um, there's an excellent, excellent scene. For that specific part, um, when she's trying to, she pours just like a little bit of water on it and she like tries to dab the water on the wound. And like Jennifer Lawrence is such a frigging good actress. That scene gets me every single time. Like I have never been burned that badly. But when I watch that scene, I I can feel the burn. (laughs) It is so intense. And she she did it so well. So this is another feature of of the Hunger Games of the arena um, that the game makers do. So there's a lot of manufactured, like, natural things in the arena. You learn, actually, that Mockingjays are actually kind of descended from a manufactured bird that the the capital initially made for the arena. Um, the, the bird specifically was called a Jabberjay. Um, and these Jabberjays were set up around around the districts specifically to spy on the districts um, and they could mimic speech perfectly. Um, they could they could essentially record what someone says and um, essentially they would have these birds around around the districts and if somebody was, you know, committing treason, the Jabberjays would record, record this conversation and bring it back to the Capitol and play it back exactly how they heard it. And this is how they got people arrested and this is why they have so many AVOXs. Like, they... They have record of people actually committing treason, but something that they didn't really look into before they released all these Jabberjays out into the out into the wild around the districts. These Jabberjays started mating with mockingbirds, and this is how we got the bird, the Mockingjay. 
there are mark- Mockingjays in the arena when Katniss and Peeta, like, they're in this specific arena. And there are a few other manufactured things, like the fireball thing. Um, obviously, the game makers needed a way to make sure that the tributes couldn't leave the arena, essentially. And if one tribute got too far away, they could you know, set off this manufactured thing and essentially send these tributes running towards each other, which this is exactly, this is exactly why Katniss gets burned. She wanders too far out of the wilderness um, and she gets a little bit too far away from the next closest tribute. And essentially the game makers are like, she's too far away. We need to get her back closer to the other tributes. There's, um, there's a few other, there's a few other things in, in the arena, like, uh, there's a bee. It's kind of more like a wasp. Um, they're called tracker jackers. Um, they're a venomous bee, highly aggressive, super poisonous, um, and like hallucinogenic. You see these in, in this part of the movie and in the book as well. I can't really think of any of the other manufactured things um, that are like specific to the arena, not things that are like released into the arena, which we will get into in part three because it's terrifying and I hate it. So like I said at the beginning, there's not a lot of mistakes. There's definitely like a lot of the stuff that happens in this part of the book they do in the movie. They just do it at like a different time in the movie like there is a scene where um so like after Katniss gets burned by these trees that are like shooting fireballs at her um she runs and she finds a stream and she jumps in the water and the career tributes actually see her um and they chase her down um and she ends up climbing up a tree um this in the book this happens at night but in the movie in the movie it's like during like midday um the career tributes chase her to this tree they try to shoot her down um they're not very good at archery but one of the one of the tributes that has the bow and arrow is there near Katniss so she kind of formulates this plan trying to to think of a way to get the bow and arrow from this tribute um and this is also a scene where the size of the tributes um and how they were cast comes into play last episode i specifically mentioned how jennifer lawrence is definitely a more built actress she's taller um she's definitely more muscular she's not really like the lean athletic um and katniss in the books is supposed to be smaller and definitely more lean um which makes it makes her climbing the tree make more sense like she is lighter she's less likely to step on a branch and just have it like snap under her weight it kind of it kind of it's a little bit of a plot hole because Jennifer Lawrence is not like a small girl she's she's a healthy athletic build um and a big part of this scene specifically is that she's confident that the other tributes can't make it up the tree to get her because she's small and they're bigger that's not even the case. Like the girl that tries to climb up the tree to get to Katniss. Oh, I'm sorry. The boy that tries to climb up the tree to get to Katniss easily about the same size as Jennifer Lawrence. Like it's just kind of a it's just kind of like a eh. I mean, you kind of almost <laughs> you almost got it. <laughs> so this is this scene you actually see you see uh, Rue for the first time, like actually in the games. Rue is actually up in a tree with Katniss. She's not in the same tree as Katniss. She's just up in a nearby tree. Um, and she actually like sends a signal to Katniss um, and points above Katniss's head where there is a hive of tracker, tracker jackers. I believe in the book she does this at night, but I am not 100% sure. But uh, Katniss actually 
climbs the tree, cuts this tracker jacker hive out of the tree, and it comes crashing down onto these other tributes. I believe one of the one of the girl tributes, she ends up dying because she gets stung so many times. Um, and she just like gets stung like a ton of times by these tracker jackers and like they cause severe hallucinations and pain um and just like it was just too much for this one girl to to handle um the other tributes end up getting away but of course the girl that died was actually the one holding the bow and arrow Katniss climbs down the tree she also got stung a couple times by these tracker jackers um but she manages to get this bow and arrow from this girl um and you actually see in at this point Peta runs up to her and tells her to run. Um, and for the like a good portion of the rest of this part of the book, she's not convinced that it was Peta because she was hallucinating while this happened because of the tracker jacker venom. But we learn that Peta actually did warn her, like, you need to run because uh one of the other career tributes was coming to kill her. So Katniss falls into like this giant hallucination um she sees caesar flickerman in the arena and his brilliant white teeth (laughs) um and like she just just hardcore hallucinations um and she ends up passing out uh and then we see her waking up and she's uh covered in these big leaves and you find out that it's actually rue that put these leaves on her and she she is the one who uh essentially helped katniss get out of this hallucination and all that stuff and she was asleep for like three days i think like i said a lot of the stuff is accurate it's just not precisely in like the right spot so rue definitely like rue takes care of katniss while she's passed out from all of these tracker jacker stings um we learn that a few more tributes die in this time um one of them being the girl that also got stung by the tracker jackers and through this entire thing, you see you see Haymitch like in the Capitol trying to get sponsors for Katniss and also for PETA. Um, and then there's a few scenes of like Seneca Crane actually actually like meeting with President Snow, which, as I said in the last episode, President Snow is hardly in the book. Like he's at the very beginning and he's at the very end. Like that's it. Like, you don't see him at all other than that. But, of course, like, how are they going to tell the story if they can't, you know, show Donald Sutherland? Like, what what's the point of even having the movie? <laughs> so, Rue and Katniss start an alliance. Um, there's a few scenes of them, like, sleeping in the tree together. Um, Katniss shows Rue how to catch food. Um, you see her actually cooking food for Rue, and it it's almost like Rue hadn't eaten the entire time that they'd been in the in the Hunger Games um <laughs> in the arena. Their their relationship just gets stronger and stronger and you actually see Katniss um in the book, she uh, her internal dialogue kind of implies that she wants to help Rue win. She doesn't necessarily have any intention of winning the Hunger Games. Like if she is going to help anybody in the Hunger Games, it's going to be Rue. Um, just because of how sweet she is and how much she reminds her of her sister Prim. And uh, Rue is actually the one who shows Katniss that, you know, these Mockingjays are are in the arena. Um, and, you know, classic four-note melody, which I'm not going to whistle because I don't want to get sued. Um, but uh, 
they devise a plan once they learn that, you know, uh, the big the big tribute from District 11, Rue's counterpart, Thresh, he's out in this field somewhere, probably alive. Um, most of the career tributes are still alive. Um, and you learn that the career tributes actually have made like this hoard of stuff and supplies around the cornucopia. And you actually learn that they have um, with the help of a kid from District District 3, which you would learn is like the electronic district, like they do like the manu- manufacturing for all the other districts. So help from a kid from that district. He digs up all the mines and he sets them up around this hoard. So there's only like one specific way that you can actually get to the, the equipment and supplies. Um, and Katniss and Rue come up with this plan to either steal some of the supplies or destroy it. Uh, they set up a bunch of fires around the arena that Rue is running around and lighting. And, you know, this plays out pretty accurate to the book, almost almost exactly. The, the biggest thing is, uh, so after Katniss blows up all of the supplies, she notices that Rue hasn't lit the next fire. But in the book, she actually waits for like a few hours to see if Rue comes back to where they planned on meeting or if she sends a warning using the the sound from the Mockingjays um, and she doesn't get anything. So Katniss freaks out when she doesn't see this fire and she goes running um, and she sees that Rue is caught in this trap in this tree. I believe the the um, the boy from District 1 actually kills Rue. So the boy from District 1, or maybe it's 4. I can't remember if it's District 1 or District 4. It's a boy and he kills Rue. That's all that matters. Um, he throws the spear at uh, at Rue, hits her in the abdomen. Katniss um, panics and turns around and shoots, shoots this boy, killing him. The next scene um, is probably one of the most, like painful scenes to watch in the entire movie, even more painful than, you know, seeing Katniss volunteer to uh, protect Prim. A lot of the internal dialogue that you see from Katniss at this point is about, you know, like she can't stop the bleeding. She looks so much like Rue. She wishes she could help or she looks so much like Prim. She wishes she could help her. She doesn't think for even a second about the boy that she just killed until after Prim or Rue has actually passed away. Um, And you see Katniss actually like sings a song to Rue as she's passing. Um, and after she after Rue passes away, she panics um a little bit and she she just she doesn't want the capital to just like come and scoop up her body without the consequences of essentially what the capital has done. Katniss spends a bunch of time gathering flowers and placing them around Rue and placing them in her hair in her hair and cleaning up her face and making sure that her jacket is zipped up so you can't see the wound from uh the spear she um so there there's a there's a symbol in the districts um and it's like it's essentially like the girl scouts honor scouts honor not girl scouts scouts honor thing so it's three fingers um held up i think it's left hand um so after she finishes uh doing this tribute to rue she stands and waits for the hovercraft to come um from a little bit of a distance and she actually does the symbol to the cameras as as a in in a in a stance of defiance essentially and you actually see that the district 11 because they saw how much katniss cared for rue and how what katniss did for rue when she died they actually send and okay district 11 is like 
district 12 is poor and district 11 is like beyond that like they are so 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 poor the the system of like um like the policing system in district 11 is way more severe um it's just it's just like a terrible place to live and they're like the poorest of the poor district 11 actually sends a piece or like a loaf of bread to Katniss in the games like they they sponsor Katniss and they send this loaf of bread to her for what she did for Rue so at this point um Katniss has received a few gifts from sponsors she received like an ointment to take care of the burn on her leg she receives the bread from district 11 she now like she had started this alliance with the intent of keeping Rue alive, and Rue is now passed away. Um, and enough tributes have died in the games for there to be, I've, I think it's like seven tributes left in the game at this point. Um, and it's both tributes from District 12, both tributes from District 2, a tribute from District 5, and Thresh, who is Rue's counterpart from District 11, and someone else, I think. I don't know. Who knows? But um, so they announce over the over the speakers into the arena that there has been a rule change. The rule change specifically says that if you have both people from the district are still alive, that district can win together. So both people from that district can win. Um, And this is actually where part two ends. So this, I know this, I just literally was just like, here's the entire plot of part two of The Hunger Games. Like, there's not a lot of mistakes in this part. Um, the, the few mistakes that I could find between the, the movie and the book are like stuff like, well, Jennifer Lawrence had like hair on her left side of her face and not her right side of her face. I don't care about that crap. Like, get over it. Like, if you're that picky, this probably isn't the podcast you want to listen to. So uh, the next the next part, part three, definitely has more inaccuracies between the book and the movie. Um, so this this episode is just going to be like like a little fun break episode where I just tell you the entire plot of a book and you listen to me maybe and please keep listening. <laughs> like I don't I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. This is part two of The Hunger Games. Next week, we will jump into part three of The Hunger Games. I decided that um, between books, between books and movies, um, I'm going to take a one week break specifically so that I can make sure that I have time to read a book and like watch a movie and take notes and all that stuff before I start like the next book. So this week, this episode came out. Uh, Next week, I believe. So this episode came out on October 1st. Next week will, so part three of The Hunger Games, the last part of this specific part of The Hunger Games will come out on the 8th. And then we will be starting the Disney Classic series um, on October 22nd. I will be, if you are interested in reading the book specifically that I am reading to compare to the movie, that book is Beauty and the Beast written by... Oh, man. Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve. I butchered that. Um, It's a French lady. 
It was written in 1740. I don't know any other descriptions to tell you which book this is. Her last name starts with a V. I'll look up how to pronounce it so I can say it when I'm actually doing the the episode, but that's all I've got. <laughs> so that's the that's the the book I will be specifically reading. I believe this is the original story and there's been adaptations after this. But I will look into that more. And I know I said at the very beginning of this episode that I wasn't sure if I was going to do the the live action or the cartoon. I think I'm going to stick with the cartoon. So this will be a specific uh, differentiation between the book and the cartoon movie Beauty and the Beast. Well, that is everything for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to participate in, in uh, polls and stuff for the show and like have a say in what books and movies I go through. Uh, The best place to do that is on my Instagram. Uh, Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline. Normal people in normal places.